The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Alrighty, good morning everybody. How we doing? We good? It's November now. Amen. Nice windy day for us. It's good to see all of you. I praise God for you. Uh, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Vince. Uh, I do a lot of the Bible teaching around here, and that's what I'm here to do now. Uh, if you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 26 today. So uh, this <clears throat> set of verses right here, 1 through 26, is, is so pregnant with meaning that I'm going to have to preach it to you twice. So what we're going to do, I'm going to go through it once for some of the face value kind of low-hanging fruit, and, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to get out our proverbial ladder and stretch together to reach for some of the truth that's a little harder to grab. So I just wanted to say that, and, and also, you know, that if, if you get hungry halfway through, don't eat your communion wafer, all right? That's not what that's for. Just raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you some peanut butter crackers or something to hold you through, all right? Half of you are wondering, is he serious? Can I get peanut butter crackers? Like, is that a real thing? I'm, I'm kidding. There's nothing to worry about. I'm going to have you out of here at the latest 2 o'clock, so we're going to be good. Okay. Did you find Mark 8? You guys all on like a sugar load? Did you eat too much Halloween candy? I thought most of you would have some this morning, though you wouldn't want to admit it, and maybe, you know, it'd be less like a monastery in here today. So what's up? How are we going to do? Good? I should have threw out Reese's pumpkins when I got up here just to get the people going. All right. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll get excited about the word. We don't need sugar. So uh, if you're struggling to find Mark, it's between Matthew and Luke. If you're still learning how to navigate your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, please let us give you one. We'd really enjoy doing that. We have them in the Connect Center right outside those doors, okay? So uh, if you don't have something with you to follow along, we're going to have the verses on the screen for you. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. We're going to read those together, okay? Here we go. In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I didn't plan for the comparison there, but they went three days with nothing to eat, so do with that what you will, okay? Uh, If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will we be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of broken pieces." About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district, the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? 
Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Praise God for his word. Amen. Okay, back to the top. Mark 8, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 first, okay? So this is commonly known as the feeding of the 4,000. There's a surprising amount of people who claim that this is just a retelling of the events where Jesus fed the 5,000. Now, a lot of that comes down to the fact that all four Gospels contain the account of Jesus feeding 5,000, but only Matthew and Mark record this second miracle. So because of that, I can somewhat, and there's some other reasons, but I can somewhat understand their confusion. I just want to say, I think it's pretty plain, this cannot be the same event, and I'm going to give you a few reasons. The first is that the feeding of the 5,000 was in Galilee, and it was primarily people of Hebrew descent that were fed. This was in Decapolis, or the surrounding area there, and it was, that area was inhabited mostly by Gentiles. Okay? The first event had five loaves and two fish. They picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. This one had seven loaves and a few fish. They picked up seven baskets of leftovers. Distinct details. Uh, furthermore, when Jesus questions the disciples that we just read in verses 19 and 20, um, here in, in Mark 8, he asks about both events separately, which is probably the clearest indicator to me that there were two different occasions where Jesus fed lots of people in a miraculous way, okay? Uh, but what do we see here? What do we draw from this? Well, we just, it wasn't too long ago, we looked at the, the sermon of Jesus feeding 5,000. There's some principles that do cross over there. Uh, but here, I, I think it's important for us to point out and for us to be reminded fairly consistently that Jesus doesn't just care about what we might consider deep and spiritual things. He actually cares deeply about our practical everyday needs as well, right? They'd been talking about deep spiritual things for three days, uh, and if Jesus was kind of high and lofty like some people tend to get, uh, he wouldn't have even maybe noticed that they were hungry or cared about it. But yet, it's clear that he did. And this should help us as Christ followers to be balanced in how we love and help people who are struggling. Because the reality is, sometimes praying with them and for them and, and sharing with them biblical truth in love is exactly what they need. But sometimes, being generous with the resources that God has entrusted to us and, and meeting their physical needs is the way we love them well. And oftentimes, it's a combination of both together. Knowing that Jesus cared about both spiritual and physical needs and brought an answer to both helps us to have a holistic approach to loving one another and to loving our neighbors. Amen? Let's look at verses 11 through 13 together. This is, is tough to read. <laughs> Jesus, up to this point, has fed two giant crowds 
with the equivalent of a Hebrew Lunchable. Okay? He has cast out demons. He's healed the terminally ill. He has restored sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And these jokers have the stones to ask him for a sign. What? And what was happening here is somehow they didn't think that all those signs were enough. They wanted to see something like Elijah on Mount Carmel, a fireball from heaven or, or some other sign in the sky. And here's the reality. We can't just sit in kind of a, a superior scorning of the Pharisees of that day because that kind of thinking persists to now. I, I hear people, I don't know if you do, I hear people say all the time, if God was real, why doesn't he make it obvious somehow? And, and it's very interesting how often People use an example of some kind of display in the sky, even today, when they talk about this. Well, if God's real, why can't he just roll the clouds back and pop in and say so, right? Like, okay. <laughs> but I just, I just want to say, I, I feel where it says Jesus sighed deeply here. Man, I feel it. I feel it. Because this interaction is also recorded in uh, Matthew, and and. There, Jesus says that there, no sign will be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah, which is him saying the sign of Jonah. That's a reference to his, his death, burial, and resurrection three days later, in the same way that Jonah was in the fish three days, you know, and then comes about. Okay, so, but why did Mark not say that? Well, it, I'm not totally sure, but it's, it's quite possible that Mark's Roman audience probably wouldn't have caught the Jonah reference or really known what he was even talking about. So, but here's, here's the deal. Here's why I feel the sigh from Jesus, because... <laughs> Jesus is the sign. He is the sign. And how much more beautiful is a sign from God, which doesn't just flash through the sky and is gone, but it comes down, he comes down into the dirt with us. And that's why sometimes, and and this probably isn't the most holy or spiritual reaction, I feel like my neck is going to explode when I hear this stuff. Because... When someone says, if God was real, why doesn't he make it obvious somehow? I'm like, Jeff Foxworthy, man, like, here's your sign. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? God broke into history through the incarnation, performed signs and wonders, and hung around for 33 years, predicted his own death and resurrection, and then died and rose again. How... How does a Galilean peasant from a little backwater town in a Roman province rise to prominence to the degree that we started the clock back and that for the next 2,000 years our calendar is set by his life and death? There's been other big deals throughout history. There's been other people with big claims throughout history, but no one else showed up and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the entire planet changed as a result of it. Now, to be fair, there are, there are answers given that try to explain this away, and, and I'm aware of those, but none of them come close to being as reasonable as the plainest answer. The plainest answer being that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he came as was foretold, and cracked all of history in half, and then changed the world forever. That is the plainest answer to the question. We have had plenty of sign to really humbly approach God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit begin to digest what you see here. You want a sign? 
Get in here and pray and ask God to show you the depth and the beauty of what's contained within the Word of God. I mean, there's signs all around you. Creation itself declares His glory. <laughs> Amen. So let's, let's look at verses 14 through 21 together. It's been a minute since we read that, so let's just, let's just look at it again. They had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And he said to them, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? So here's what happened. Jesus says the word leaven, okay? And the disciples key in on that, and they think he's upset that they didn't bring any bread. And when I imagine Jesus in this situation, it's probably not accurate. This is just my imagination. But I imagine him... Like the guy, I can't remember his name, but he's sitting in between Lloyd and Harry in the Muttcuts van in Dumb and Dumber, right? And they start back and forth at each other across him, you know, like, can't double stamp, double stamp, Lloyd, can't, you know, and so they're doing that deal, and he's like, he's like, guys, 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 right? That's, that's how I see Jesus right here. <laughs> Boys, hold on. Bread is not the issue. <laughs> Bread is not the issue. That's not what I'm talking about, Okay. What what does he do? How does he drive the point home that bread is not the issue? Because they're, they just left the giant picnic. They're in the boat. They got one piece of bread and they're worried that, that maybe Jesus is concerned about their lack of bread. How does he drive the point home? What he does is he calls their attention to his faithfulness in the past. Guys, bread is not the issue. Let's think about this. Why, why would that not be maybe what I'm concerned about? Let me ask you some questions. How many baskets full of extra broken pieces did you pick up after we started with five loaves and two fish? Twelve, right? What about the other time? Seven. <laughs> okay, right? There is, but but what's, what's beautiful here is what, what Jesus shows us about how to think and, and how to process situations like this, because there's a saying, and it's normally attributed to Spurgeon, and I know it's pretty well known, but the fact that it's well known doesn't make it any, any less true or powerful or corrective for us. And I think, you know, sometimes cliches become cliches for a reason. I think we should be careful not to think because we've heard something a bunch of times that it doesn't still have something to say to us or to deal with us right here in this moment. But here was, here was what Spurgeon was known for, for saying, that we're often prone to carve our trials in marble and our blessings in sand. And that's, that's really true. It's true about us. And, and, and how, do we, how do we stop doing that foolish thing? Well, what I think Jesus calls our attention to here is that it's a wise and godly and helpful practice to rehearse often in your mind and write down all the times and the ways that God has blessed you. To let a lot of your thought life be consumed with God's faithfulness thus far. What do I mean? I mean the answered prayers. I mean the situations that he worked out for your good that you could have never have imagined it would go that way. All of it. Because 
when the next trial or temptation comes, we're meant to look back at all of God's mercy and goodness towards us. And then we're called to look forward with a bold and tenacious faith that he will do it again. It's pretty clear. Guys, the leaven thing I'm trying to teach you right now is not about bread. We don't have a bread problem. <laughs> we can handle that. You've seen me do that, right? Yes, Jesus. Okay. You know, and we're sitting here with the benefit of hindsight, and we get to see the context of the whole thing, and so we can be like, you disciples, you rascals. Come on, guys. But probably a better, more accurate, humble position would be for us to realize how often we do this exact same thing. We're freaked, about, we're freaked out about whatever's coming next, either refusing to or we don't remember to, looking back at God's mercy and faithfulness and goodness and power thus far, and be encouraged going forward. Amen. All right, verses 22 through 26. Uh, here we have the, the healing of this blind man, and this is the only recorded miracle of Jesus, this is a big deal, that seemingly took two applications or happened in a progression, okay? Most of the time he just says it or someone touches him or what, it's, it's pretty immediate, right? And there's been a lot of debate as to why this is, and I'm going to share with you uh, one seemingly clear reason on our way back through these verses, but for now I just want us to, to savor this truth. Here, here's, here's some things we know for sure. It wasn't a lack of power on the part of Jesus. We know that, right? That's not why. It's, he spits on the, eyes, the guy's eyes first. You know, some people will say, well, maybe his eyes were matted up and that's, Jesus was just clearing them out. We, we don't know. We're not giving the details, okay? But there are those uh, that, <clears throat> those that think it's lack of faith and all kinds of reasons. And it's, you know, it's, that part's not that clear. But if it wasn't a lack of power, uh, we know that because he had healed and delivered many people without even looking at them, right? So this is not, this wasn't a, a, a limitation issue on Jesus' side. That means that this variation, this, the fact that this healing took a process or, you know, multiple applications, it has to be something to do with, with the man being healed or the people watching. And, and here's the thing, we may never know the reasons, that, or all the reasons this miracle happened this way. But one point we can draw from it is that sometimes Jesus heals and delivers through a process and not just instantaneously. And I want to propose to you, and I want you to think about this real seriously, because I'm going to make a serious statement. The belief that if we have enough faith, that always means we instantly receive something we ask God for, whether that be healing or from a sickness or deliverance from ensnaring sins, whatever it is. But this belief that if you have enough faith, it's, it's always going to happen right now. It has done much damage and it has discouraged many people. Because it's not true. Sometimes God delivers instantly. And sometimes he takes us through a process. But we know that whatever way he does it and however long it takes, it is not a lack of faithfulness or power on his part can't be that. The truth about it is we serve a God who actually knows us and actually loves us and will always and only do what he knows is best for us. That helps me. Amen. 
As I said before, some, some do say, it would, it, it, you know, the clearest explanation would be that it's a lack of faith on this man's part, and that's why it took a second laying on of Christ's hands to be healed. But we see no indication of that from Jesus. I mean, did Jesus have a problem saying, you have a lack of faith, or you're thinking wrong, or... <laughs> no, he just cracked on his disciples, didn't he? Cracked on the Pharisees. He, he, you know, if somebody needs to hear something... The, the Lord of glory, let him know. Amen. I like that about him. So we don't see an indication from Jesus that this was a, a faith issue on the man's part. And, and so when we hit this again, I told you we're going through twice. I'll show you at least one hint from the context that we get about the Lord's motives here. Okay, so, all right, that was the low fruit. You guys ready to get out your proverbial ladder and reach for some of the higher stuff? All right, that wasn't too bad. Quit looking at your watches. Doesn't matter. It ain't going to be three days, so you'll be all right. Okay. All right, back to verses 1 through 10. Back to the beginning. Man, there's so much here. And I'm leaving stuff, too. I can't get it all. Okay, so verses 1 through 10. Keeping in mind the flow of the accounts here and and the the, the, you know, the way we're going through Mark should help us with this. We didn't, we didn't come here and just kind of hit some verses, which I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but we haven't been doing that. We've been going step by step through Mark. And it's really important to keep in mind of the context to, in order to reach some of the deeper meanings that I'm, I'm talking about here. So what do we know? We know that Jesus is still on his tour right now outside of the Galilean region, right? He had, Capernaum was his kind of ministry center and did a lot of stuff right there in Galilee to, to the children of Israel. But he, then, he, then he took that jump up to Tyre and through Sidon and back down through Decapolis, and, and, and he's still on kind of his Gentile tour, okay? So he's still doing that, and that means that this second giant picnic was done in Gentile territory, okay? That's significant. That's part of why I think it's really important, you know, I don't always stop and like give you guys all the like nitpicky theologian, you know, what theologians argue about and stuff. But but seeing this feeding of the four thousand is just somebody change the details a little bit about the one from the five thousand. That's that's a problem because there's there's some big reasons why Jesus did it again and did it in a different place with different people. Because what what part of what this tells us and, and remember what ha- let's remember the flow of thought. That Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees about why his disciples aren't doing the ceremonial washings. He says it's not the things that go inside of a man, things that come out that defile him, right? And Mark even explained to the Roman, uh, you know, to his Roman audience, hey, here's the deal. The Jewish leaders and, and those that are real devout, they, they make sure they wash their hands. And he even specifically says when they go to the marketplace, right? Because what, what is he showing here? He's showing us the fact that the Jews had this sense of ethnic superiority because they were God's chosen people and they felt like the Gentiles and everyone else were dirty dogs and that was literally the slur they would use. Okay? So this is, Jesus is still continuing his full frontal assault. Okay? Just by going up to Tyre and healing the, the woman with the, the demon-possessed daughter, just by having that discussion and by doing that, he, he's, he's dropping bombs on this, this idea that it's only Israel that is, that is blessed by God or desired by God or that, only God's only, that you know, the bread's only for them, right? It's a full frontal assault on the damnable theory of ethnic superiority that had crept in among the religious leaders of Israel, okay? Uh, 
and if, you know, I've taken more time, I'm preaching two sermons today, so uh, I took more time in, in weeks previous unpacking how we know that I'm, I'm not just saying that because it, it is a hot button issue and it was convenient. This is literally undeniably part of what's going on here. Uh, and it just so happens we're here <laughs> uh, at this moment in time. So this so having this big picnic out here in the region of Decapolis with a bunch of Gentile people, part of what, what Jesus is communicating in doing that is that this bread from heaven that Jesus was bringing, that it was for everybody. That, that you know, and I, I took you last week to, to part, you know, part of the problem with the religious leaders from Israel is they, they had forgotten the purpose for which they were called to be a people. They forgot what God said to Abraham, which was what? Right? That through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That it, God wasn't about just picking up Israel and, and just making them a special people, and that was his whole point. The reason why he selected a people was so that Abraham could have Isaac, Isaac could have Jacob, Jacob could have Joseph, and then they could go to Egypt, and then Moses could bring them out of Egypt, and then the children of Israel could wander around in the wilderness, and then they could cross into the promised land, and Joshua could conquer a bunch of stuff, and then you'd, you'd have the time of the kings and all that, and then you'd have David rise up, and then you could have the time of the exile, but all of that was happening. All of those pieces were tied together so that Jesus Christ, the Savior, could be born for the whole world, right? And they, they missed it, man. They missed it. So the bread of heaven, and this, this, so this picnic is under, underneath the beauty of Jesus' compassion and care for the physical needs of people and all the lessons we already talked about that we can draw from that. Jesus is, he's, you know, it's, it's, he's preaching a message, man, and it's loud and clear to those that know how to look for it. And they were ticked off about it, because where are the Pharisees now? Coming back over, we'd like a sign from you, make sure you're from God, you ninnies. Here they are, right? 11 through 13. Jesus, okay, he has this interaction with the Pharisees, and we know, because we've already read ahead, that he's about to warn the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, right? So they come, and they're giving him mouth about, sign, you know, we want a sign from the sky and all this type of stuff. All right, and we know Jesus is about to explain, or, or he's going to warn against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, okay? So what, what is that, right? Because you may still be like, well, yeah, I'm with the disciples. I don't, when I think about leaven, I think about bread. So, you know, here's the thing. Throughout the scriptures, leaven is consistently an example of how evil works, how sin works. And the idea is that, you know, you're, you're, the expression is like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so if, you got, if, you got a, if you're just allowing a little bit of sin or you've got a little bit of sin within, when a, within a group or evil, that if, if it's left unchecked and not dealt with, that that will spread throughout, Okay. Um, and, and there's even an idea, if you've ever done like a sourdough starter, you know, you take, you take some of the last batch and you keep it and then you use it to get the next batch to go. The, the existing leaven within the old dough now makes the new dough rise like the old one did. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you know, there's, there's some stuff here. There's some ideas that have grabbed a hold that is leaven and it just keeps passing down. But I'm here, I'm here with new bread. Throw your sourdough starter away. You know, some of you are like, no. This new bread's better, however hard it is for you to imagine that. So, so what we see here is that part of that leaven that he's warning about, it was a disbelief that Jesus could save them, right? We see the Pharisees yet again, hey, we'd like to see a sign from you to make sure you're really from God. Well, okay, so 
if they, didn't, if they didn't think Jesus could save them, what were they thinking was going to? Well, they were still depending on their good works to do that, which is part of the problem. That was part of the leaven issue. They didn't see and understand what Hebrews tells us, that the law was a tutor. The law was not meant for them to think they could actually keep it. The law was meant to show them that they couldn't keep it. The law was meant to drop them to their knees in an admission that they're going to need righteousness from somewhere outside of themselves. It wasn't coming through their own dutiful, moral effort. Okay? That's bad leaven, man. And, it, and it's still running around today. Trust and believe, okay? They misunderstood what the Messiah was coming to do. Okay? And that's why when Jesus talks about, think about it, when did the, when did the, when did the Pharisees start getting really ticked off? One of the first ones I remember is when, and, and we, we read about this, when the guys come and they lower their friend down through, through the, the hole in the roof, right, on the mat, and what does Jesus say to him first? He doesn't, you know, we kind of laughed about it. He doesn't even address the fact that he's, you know, uh, lame and can't walk. The first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus started saying stuff that they thought, well, man, only God should be able to say that, which they were right about that. But they... They, 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 missed, they were missing the big picture. They, that's not even... The fact that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah and, and talking about forgiving sins, that, that for them was, it was doing this. Because that's not even... They, they weren't looking to be rescued from their sins. They didn't think their sins were the problem. What they thought was the problem was the fact that they had Roman conquerors who was keeping Israel from fulfilling her glory of being a nation state that's this light to the world in that way. Okay? They didn't want saved from sin. And that's what they were so angry about. They wanted the nation of Israel to be lifted into prominence and political freedom. That's what they thought Messiah was coming to do. All right? And and that's going to make even more sense as we look at 14 through 21 again. All right? So we see the leaven of the Pharisees. We've understood what that is, right? Their their leaven is that self-righteousness. They don't think... Salvation from sin is not even on their radar because they actually literally think through their adherence to... Old Testament moral law and whatever their perception is of how perfectly they're doing that and with all the oral traditions they've added on top, they have, they have, they've saved themselves with their righteousness. Okay, So that's, that leaven is an issue and Jesus is warning against it. But what is the leaven of Herod? What does that mean? Well, we talked about this also right as we came into the book of Mark. There was a group of people called the Herodians. I'd want, one of the first sermons in the series here, I took you guys through all the different groups and, and sects, S-E-C-T-S, of people that were, you know, what the political landscape looked like and how, on how many different fronts Jesus had people coming against him and all the different reasons they didn't like him. The Herodians were Jews who thought that Herod, who was a, really a puppet leader for Rome over Galilee, that Herod was their ticket to freedom and the good life. So we get the leaven of the Pharisees, that self-righteous idea that you know, sin is not even the issue we're looking for help from God about. We got that. Okay? And then you got the, the, this, this deal with the, with the Herodians and the leaven of Herod. Where, you know, he's making deals or making people believe that somehow he's going to have enough power, enough influence or whatever to solve their problem with the Romans, which was totally ridiculous or at least give them a good life underneath Roman rule, which is falls short anyways of what they were even supposed to be hoping for 
that was, that was still falling short of what God was coming to do or what God's vision of the whole thing was. But, so some of this leaven he's warning about, some of it was self-righteous separatism based on ethnicity or a sense of personal moral piety. Okay, That's some of the leaven he's warning about. Some of the leaven that he's warning about was a false hope that political leaders were the answer to their problems as a nation. Does anybody else see the providence of God in the fact that we landed on these verses two days before the 2020 presidential election? You might say, well, there's been hucksters and charlatans before. You probably planned it like this. You don't know me if that's what you think. I'm not that organized. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Man, that, the fact that we are reading this today, this warning from Jesus about the leaven of the Pharisees and the the leaven of of Herod, buddy, I'll tell you what, we, we, we better see we better see the reality of this message. And what we better not do is sit here and think of all the other people we know that really could hear, they could get something out of this sermon. Because, to some degree, we all struggle with these types of leaven. Our hearts are naturally bent towards a sense of self-righteous piety and separatism that comes from it. Our hearts are naturally bent towards trying to save ourselves through our own good works and sense of self-righteousness. And, and, and we're bent towards trying to, trying to feel better about ourselves as we compare how much lower other people are on that morality totem pole. Well, I don't really struggle with that. Well, you, either you're lying or you're just not very self-aware because that's a part of the human condition. Okay, And let me make sure I'm clear about this issue with the leaven of Herod. And, and really that what that meant was there was a big group of people that when they looked at Israel's problem of subjugation under Rome, they thought that some other political leaders were going to be the answer to their problems as a nation. I, I, <clears throat> I don't mean to over-trivialize Christians being involved in the political sphere. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all. I'm not saying you shouldn't be engaged and understand the issues. I'm not saying anything about whether you should vote or, or, or you shouldn't vote or how you do that or any of that. That's, that's not the point. The, the bottom line point in which I, what I want you to hear is we cannot place our hope in politics, politicians, or policies. And I, you know, I get on the Twitter and I, I read a lot, man. I see a lot of stuff from people. And there, there are a lot of people who I believe genuinely love Jesus, but they are really freaked out. And they're saying it. They're talking about a, a sense of anxiety leading up to Tuesday. And, you know, to some degree, the leaven of Herod, Jesus' warnings about it didn't kill it. That, that bread kept touching other bread and it's made it down, its way down through the generations because there's a bunch of people really freaked out for all different kinds of reasons, for opposite reasons about this election and what's coming up. And there's a lot more I could say about it and I could expand on it, and, but, but you know, I, I'm not sure 
we need much more than these red letters from Jesus that says, beware. Jesus, go through your Bible. He didn't say beware very much. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware. And friends, I don't want you to beware of it primarily in your neighbors or the people around you. We got to beware of it in our own hearts, in our own minds. We cannot view ourselves as, as somehow impervious to these temptations and these, these struggles because we're not. <laughs> we're not. Beware of this leaven, friends, because these insidious and false pseudo-saviors didn't die with the Pharisees and the Herodians. Okay? They're alive and well today. But what a greater hope we have in Jesus. And he, and, he, and he tips his hand to that, I believe, in verses 22 through 26. I, w- what was the question we left unanswered? I told you, I, I think there's a hint here. If we look, keep the context all together of what, what's the deal with why this miracle was different? Why did this one, was there a double application? Why did it seem like it, there was a process there? Well, let's keep in mind what just happened. The Pharisees come and challenge him, right? Jesus, he feeds 4,000. The Pharisees come and challenge him. They get in the boat together. Jesus starts to warn about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And what do the boys do? Hey, John, we only got one loaf of bread, bro. Right? And Jesus is like, okay, all right, guys. And, and he comes at him pretty hard, doesn't he? Are you guys, do you guys not have eyes to see? Do you not have ears to hear? Is your heart hard? But then, look at the mercy to his di- disciples after he had just put them in check like that. It's almost as if this one time, Jesus ends up in front of this one blind guy, and it's this one time where he shows them that sometimes healing and deliverance, there's a process to it. And it's almost as if, even after just having to to crack on them, Jesus is saying, fear not, my friends, because even if it takes a process, your eyes are going to be open to all that I'm here to teach you. Come on, man. That's precious. And, and it's precious for us. Because the, to the degree that you sit here right now and you consider all that's been said today, to the degree that you sit here right now and feel like you've already got all this figured out and, and you're doing really well at it, or maybe you're somebody that's sitting there going, I don't have any of this figured out and I'm really broken and busted and it's kind of overwhelming. Friends, the promise of God to you is even if it takes a process, even if it takes time, he's going to do all that is necessary to help you see what he needs you to see. He's going to open those eyes. And he can. (laughs) Hallelujah. May we embrace the hope of that message in our own lives today and live with all our hope, all our hope placed in the only person who deserves it. And that's King Jesus the Merciful. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for Mark 8. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that every time we read your word, we could, we could preach two, three, four, five, a hundred sermons. Um, but God, I thank you for uh, the people here at Love City. Thank you, God, for uh, building in them a, a hunger for your word and a, and a dexterity. Um, 
and an endurance to, to study long and to draw out what it is we can. Lord, thank you for allowing us the precious privilege of gathering like this and, and singing uh, your praise and, and magnifying you in song, but also to sit together in the power of your Holy Spirit and study your word. Thank you for the transformative power it has in our hearts. Thank you for the warnings we find here today, Lord. We know that we are no better than disciples who heard you talking about leaven and, and were way off base, that the, they totally missed it. God, we know there's so many ways where we get distracted like that and we miss the point. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you for a corrective word, but I thank you at the same time, Lord, you never, if you've got to, If you've got to lay us low, Lord, you never leave us there. You pick us back up and you dust us off and you encourage us that in your strength and because of your power and because of your great love for us, that you're going to continue in the process of shaping us and making us more like you. Help us to see what you see, to understand what you're doing to the degree that we can and to rejoice in your faithfulness in all of it. God, help us to be a people who are more likely to engrave our blessings in marble and our trials in sand. May we invert by the power of your spirit that tendency we have to be overcome and overwhelmed by the difficulties that we face. But instead, be overcome with joy and peace and hope because of all the good you've already shown, all the faithfulness you've already shown. You are good and mighty and trustworthy, and you've given us all the evidence we need to rest in that. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you're making us into. We love you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch.org. dot org.